Good morning, and thank you for joining us today on this podcast. My name is Aubyn Burridge, and I'm Global Hotel Programme Director here at ATPI. And this morning, I'm joined by my colleague, Dean Mitchell. Morning, Owen. Who is the Head of Supply Relations for Air at ATPI. ATPI are a global TMC helping our travellers with their air and hotel spend around the world. And today we'll be talking about the outlook for air and hotel spend for 2023. So, Dean, tell me, how has the recovery been in 2022? Amazing, really. Um, the, the airline industry has bounced back really well. I mean, you know, if you'd asked me 12 months ago that we'd be moaning about not enough capacity in the marketplace, I would have snapped your hand off. So everything's rosy in the garden then? Um, that went back to travel, yes, but there have been lots of challenges. I guess you know one challenge has been the airports because they've struggled quite a bit, haven't they, this uh, this last year? Yes, it's, I mean it's been really frustrating to see the capacity cuts at airports. I'd love to ask the CEO of Heathrow Airport what date was he really working towards to get ready back for travel? You know they had two years in effect to be ready. You know I feel like they really let the travel industry drown. Where where was their planning? Yeah, so I mean planning's obviously caused some problems for for airlines and. And how have the airfares been, Dean? They've been a lot higher um, than in pre-COVID in 2019. Um, for instance, our average return fare to JFK in business class in 2019 was around £5,000. But, you know, in 2022, it's averaging around £7,000, so a big increase. Even um, one of our key domestic routes, Aberdeen, has been impacted um, due to the capacity cuts as much as anything. And, and our average Heathrow Aberdeen fare in 2019 was around £100. And in 2022, it's been around £250, so a real increase. So what is course? Is it has been capacity or a combination of things? Yeah, well, the biggest impact has been airlines trying to recoup revenue. You know, the one thing we must never forget is that the airlines had to shut down pretty much for two years. So, so would you say anything else? Are they, are they trying to re recover too, too quickly? Um, no, but what the airlines did, um, in my opinion, was they panicked a bit at the beginning of the year so they could see a high demand in leisure bit bookings, but an unknown, unknown start for the corporate premium bookings. So they took a lot more premium leisure bookings than in previous years. And on and, and some flights, there was hardly any seats available to book in the traditional late corporate booking window. The ones left created really high airfares. Yeah, so why, why did they do this? Um, you know, aside from the uncertain start, there were a lot of people who had not had a holiday for two years and had saved that money to upscale their holiday to go and visit family and friends. And so this caused a huge demand from, from that sector. Yeah, so how was capacity affected? Did you know, the airlines not, not have the right aircraft or schedules? Well, I guess the airports didn't help their capacity control, but one of the biggest impacts for the UK industry was BA retiring all their Boeing 747s during COVID. So the impact of this was on the New York run, you know, their 747s had 90 club world business class seats, and this has now been reduced to 45 seats on the biggest aircraft in the route, which is the Boeing 777. So a much major impact on much needed capacity. Is, is there any, any flip side or, or branches to this? Well, I guess so, because, you know, they've replaced those iconic old four engine planes that were really fuel heavy with much more fuel efficient and sustainable friendly 787 Dreamliners and Airbus A350s, which look, use a lot less fuel and have the latest product on as well, which is good. 
so this will then what positively affect the airline industry for 2023? I guess so. I think um, for 2023, the demand will continue short term. That's for sure. Um, you know, airlines generally um, are still about 80% of capacity, but the demand is still there. So, so then the costs, obviously, that are increasing everywhere, energy and living costs, are they going to affect corporate travel? I don't think so. You know, companies still have to be out there doing deals, maintaining projects, getting their crew around. And, you know, the return to travel proved that it come back very strongly and, and went through um, anything that the, the, the industry could throw at us, really. So um, how can clients get the best fares now, you know, with, with all the changes in capacity and, and airfares air going up? Well, I think the key thing is um, to try and think ahead. The earlier you book, the better value fares are available. And that, and that will maintain. And do you think that, that will, the increased fares will change traveller behaviour? Um, let's hope so. You know, I appreciate it. it's not always easy, but even booking two weeks out rather than one week out can save money. It's, it's not easy, especially in our business. We have a lot of marine, oil and gas, mining, construction companies. You know, they use a lot of contractors, but, you know, we urge them to join the corporate uh, frequent flyer schemes because some of those um, allow things like free name changes. So that does offer you some confidence to book earlier. Are there, are there any other you know, mitigation areas clients can use? You talked about using, uh, you know, uh, uh, business schemes and things like that, which is really helpful. Anything else? Yeah, I mean, you know, ATPI has great marine and corporate net fares of all the major airlines. So we are always looking to try to offer these um, to our clients. You know, the best value fares, again, are so much more accessible the earlier you book. And what about airline route deals? Are they still as effective as they used to be? Yeah, I mean, the one thing I would um, urge um, clients to do is to try and keep the existing rates for as long as possible. Um, most airline route deals got extended after 2019. So, you know, you really need to try and keep these. You know, remember how much the average fares have gone up since 2019. Um, I'm sure there are airlines out there that will try and get these up to the 2022 20, average airfare level, which we spoke about earlier. You know, that's why it's so important that the client really supports a route deal as it makes your position so much stronger when negotiating a new one. So you definitely think that um, clients having a more assured travel programme will, will help with the pricing? Yeah, definitely. And so the airlines are always looking for that support. So, you know, box clever, don't try and have three airlines on one route. If you can support one, that will really help you with your airfares moving forwards. So why you said uh, earlier that uh, you know clients are travelling a lot more now and they're back sort of back to normal. What, what are the airlines doing about ESG, which is you know a, a really big factor these days? Yeah, well, I always feel a bit sorry for the airline industry. It always gets a bad press. You know, um, it's always the, the airplane trailing away in the blue sky with those vapor trails um, in the skies that get our attention. But they've done so much more to change. So in what, in what way? You've talked about the new aircraft, the fuel efficient planes, the 747s are gone. What else is happening? Yeah, well, you know, they're all buying next generation um, aircraft that have the, the best en engine technology, which is the main cause, obviously. Um, they use a lot less fuel and are much more efficient. So when booking on a route with lots of flights on that route, ask for the newest aircraft. You know, it's, it's a nice onboard experience as well, and you, you'll be saving a lot more emissions. You know, if you go to an airport these days, the 
seeing the planes having all those dirty smoke trails coming out the back of them are really long gone. You know, they've done so much more to make them so much more quiet and, and fuel efficient. You know, it will never be a perfect industry, but it is really trying and, and we need to support it by, you know, booking those more efficient aircraft. So you got you talked about more efficient aircraft, better capacity, the fares are going a lot up a little bit. And there's a lot talked about sustainable airline fuel. Is it the SAP as it's known? Uh, do you think this will affect Airbus? It's going to put the prices up. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, an airline has told me that in their booking display, they want the SAF flights to be clearly indicated in green, and these will come with a higher tariff. You know, I guess that would be a line in the sand then for how how keen a company is to pay for a SAF flight, and and with the less emissions. But but SAF does worry me a little bit. You know, how how would it ever get to the scale? It, needed. Um, an airline told me recently if they use all the available SAF now, um, it would last six hours for all their schedules. So it's so minimal at the moment. So, so does it have a future or is it, is it sort of a combination of SAF, maybe electric, electric planes? Is that too far off? It definitely has a place, but you know, we're talking such a long time to make it scalable. I'm pretty sure the way technology pushes forwards, um, there might be a, a more scalable alternative appear. Um, Air Canada and United Airlines have both announced that they're looking at um, electric planes for the, the short haul flights, you know, the, the domestic flights within the USA and Canada that last up to an hour. So, so that may work, and they're definitely moving forwards with those. There might be a combination where you maybe get electric planes for the short hops and they keep the sustainable fuel for the, the big long haul routes, do you think? Yeah, I guess so. I guess it's like the car industry that we're all, we're all seeing all day now, isn't it? Things, things are moving so quickly. You know, if you look a year ago, electric cars were, oh, OK, they might work. But there's so many places now you, you can make them work. And I think that's what will happen with the airline industry for sure. Well, I'm, I'm good. I know it's a it's a cause close to your heart, Dean. I know you'll keep our, our customers' uh, uh, ideas up with that and information ahead. So, really, you know, to sort of see where we are, what other big challenges do you see ahead of us now? Well, actually, one of the biggest um, concerns the airline industry is that has is the lack of pilots. Um, the airlines are taking new aircraft every day, really increasing their f fleets, um, bringing old, bringing other aircraft back. Um, because you know they need the capacity but I, there's a real shortage of pilots and that's the one thing that will will slow down um, the growth you know having said all that i'm confident the airport industry will get the airports right um, we'll keep striving for sustainable products and, and hopefully we'll have more realistic pricing in 2023 that's great dean no, thanks very much for that it's really really interesting to hear what we're doing there's so much going on at the moment so it's very insightful yeah and um Thanks for listening about the airline side. Um, we'd now like to move on to the hotel side because that's very close to our, our clients' hearts as well. And Orwin, where, where do you see pricing for hotel rates in 2023? Well, I would say, you know, from a global perspective overall, um, it, it should, they will probably rise somewhere between 10 to 15% overall. Okay, and why is that for? Well, there's a, there's a number of reasons. I think we know, we know a lot of them, you know, Mostly, a lot of the hotels have had a, a 30 plus increase in, in costs in the last year alone, you know, from, from staffing, from food, from utilities, etc. Um, prices have, have, have frozen in effect since 2019 um, for, for, for pre COVID. Uh, and supply and demand for hotels have gone closed and are not fully open. So that, that's, that's kept prices up as, as capacity has been reduced in the marketplaces as clients start travelling again. 
Yeah, so we talked earlier, didn't we, about how clients um, can work around best prices in air. What would be your advice on hotels for best prices for next year? Yeah, it's a similar it's a similar philosophy, and it's quite difficult for customers to, to guarantee their spend, um, very much like the air side. But certainly, if if, if clients are able to guarantee the spends in certain regions of hotels, they they are more willing to listen to guarantee prices. Um, if if they can't do that, then they will struggle to to maintain fixed prices and will have to buy uh, best available. Uh, and, and in some cases, we're also saying about using technology a bit more to try and reduce cost, so to speak, of of paying out when internal meetings take up between 25 and 30% of clients hotel spend. So there are, while rates are going up, there are opportunities to reduce costs within a client's own, own spend. Okay, so do you think these in costs will change travel behaviour? Oh, oh, almost certainly. And, and we're seeing this at the moment with, with the average length of stay uh, across our client base um, is going from 1.4 to 1.7 nights in the last six months. Uh, as travellers have made more use of their time, but travel less frequently. So combining meetings, going going to, 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 to one city and have multiple meetings, and it's better use of, of their time. So really replicating the airline question, is there any other mitigation clients can use? Well, maybe um, better use of technology, I've discussed that, and uh, try and avoid uh, peak times of travel. So miss out the Tuesday, Wednesday uh, travel and try and traveling and off peak days on Mondays and Thursdays and the hotels will look to offer um, better prices when using those sh shoulder nights as, as they call them in the hotel trade, certainly. Uh, so a phenomenon that really has come out since COVID is pleasure travel. Um, have you seen an increase in, in pleasure travel at all? Yeah, yeah, pleasure travel, that's right. Yeah, business and leisure combined. It's, it's a funny old word, isn't it? But um, yes, in some cases it, it is it is increasing. Um, it seems to be generational led with, with the Gen Zs uh, looking to, to tag weekends on. They're, they're quite an adventurous crowd of people and they are extending their stays. It's definitely seeing that for sure. Oh, so do you think pleasure travel could actually factor into travel policies? Well, I think it. I think it needs to. Um, certainly, from from a costing perspective, about who who pays for what. But you've got to things like employee care, um, insurance purposes, um, ensuring you know where the, where the staff are. Adding adding hotels that may not be necessarily in a policy after or pre or after a stay. So I think it's something that customers have to consider to to look at the the leisure element in their travel policies going forward for sure. OK, and another key factor is ESG again, obviously. So what are hotels doing about ESG? It is a very big topic, Dean, and some are better prepared for ESG than others. In what way, would you say? In what way? Well, many, many smaller hotels, the independents are, are struggling to, to afford many of the sort of the protocols are required for ESG accreditation. So, you know, getting the certificates of which there's at least 15 different bodies of, of membership type organisations to professional audit firms that are in this space. Uh, and it's very expensive for some of these hotels to do that. Um, EcoBarlet and SGS are ones that, that the hotels are using in particular. Uh, we've seen that uh, both Accor and Hilton Hotels have been very uh, positive in this space. But when you've got 5,000 hotels of all different sizes and scales, it's very difficult to, to agree a protocol um, ac across the whole entire chain. So we talked about um, cars and, and airline rent and airlines, the, the rates being affected by this. Do you think that same will happen with hotels? Yes, I do think so. I mean, we may have seen it in prices of rates now and it's it's got a bit blurred with post-COVID because hotels had a lot of COVID um, 
cost of, of health and safety and, and cleanliness, etc. And that's now sort of some of those protocols have stayed. But to, I have to do believe it will cost more to go green. And that's something that the customers have to consider as part of their ESG programme. So any of those sort of major global chains fully engaged in ESG? Well, I just mentioned about Apple and Hilton have, have, have been the long-standing ones, but clearly every hotel chain in one way or another is engaging, but they're finding it quite difficult to control standards from the top of the firm all the way through to franchises who may not necessarily choose to invest in, in this area. Okay, so we couldn't do a podcast without asking Orwin his key hotel subject. How is the acceptance of virtual cards since COVID? <laughs> Well, it differs around the world, uh, and that's certainly been more widespread, um, particularly that has been COVID-driven as we move to a cashless society, and in, in particular the USA. Um, you know, overall, from a technology point of view, hotel property management systems, and so your check-in desks, are, are still struggling to adapt for cardless and what they're calling tap-and-go now uh, transactions. Uh, there are hundreds of systems in, in this area, um, and, and it's been added a complication by the, the new European Payment Services Directive 2, um, which, is, which regulates credit card payments, which has made hotels very, very nervous of, uh, of fraud. So how are you and your team and ATPI assisting in this area? Well, how are we assisting? We're working both with our global distribution system, so our computer booking system, Amadeus, and the hotel chains uh, and various bodies collectively um, looking at the improvement um, and acceptance administration purposes of, of virtual cards. And this has been going on for quite some time now. So for any client listening to this, you know, how should they manage their virtual card issues? Well, the, 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 the whole virtual card payment model is, is fully functional and working effectively global, globally. But we would recommend having an electronic copy of your card on an app or, or payment vehicle and, a, and possibly a backup card with you. Uh, paying for hotels, you know, it can change on the day. We would really recommend having that little backup card with you just in case. And clearly you can call us 24-7 as well, Dean. So I mean, we talk about how painful virtual cards can be sometimes, but have they actually protected clients from fraud and is it effective? Oh, from protecting clients, absolutely. And most definitely it's presented millions of pounds worth of fraud um, and provided a, a clearer and better financial reconciliation for clients. So. There are future improvements planned um, and we will make sure that the clients are fully informed of all these developments. Well, that's great. So in summary, how would you sum up where you see 2023 versus 2019? Well, it's certainly in a better place uh, and, and many old habits have changed and new ways of traveling and working on the road have evolved further. Um, more use of technology for sure, hybrid meetings, coupled with, I would say, thoughtful travel will continue throughout 2023 and beyond. Thank you. Well, we hope you've really enjoyed today's um, podcast and we thank you for listening. Thank you.